has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in town and branch microbiome. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Tonight, we're actually doing a story that isn't specifically about real crime or true crime. However, it it hits us very close in the heart because both uh, Phil Grimaldi and Michael Geary and myself were all 9-11 first responders. And when we draw a parallel to the 9-11, basically a toxic toxic situation that we responded to, and we would do it again if we were called upon to do that again. However, the situation in in Ohio, Palestine, Ohio, with the train derailment that occurred on February 3rd, and we're finding out some things right now that really disturb us. It disturbs us because we're watching as government and corporations lie to the people that live in this area, these poor people. Uh, if you haven't been following this, this train derailment, there was 150 cars on this train uh, owned by Nor- a Norfolk Southern uh, Rail Company. Now, out of the 150 cars, 20 of the cars contained toxic chemicals, very, very serious chemicals that can cause cancer and all kinds of respiratory diseases. Uh, after the trains derailed, there was some explosions. I'll even, I'm gonna put a picture up on, on the screen. You could see that picture. Uh, a toxic cloud of gases was released into the neighborhood. Uh, just horrific. And you could see the fire. And then at some point there was a controlled explosion and a controlled burn because they felt that if they didn't do it, there would be a large explosion that could shoot uh, shrapnel up to a mile away, and they were concerned that many people could be killed that way. However, the people in this community now, they have to live with the aftermath and the after effects of this, which is surely much worse than government and the officials from this railroad are letting on. People already getting sick. People already can't, uh, couldn't drink the water. Even the governor, uh, Governor DeWine, he said, oh, if he lived, you know, truthfully, if he lived in that area, he would drink bottled water. Well, thank you for telling the truth about something. But there's a lot of real untruths going out there. And the reason we make a parallel to 9-11 with this is because we were lied to also. We were lied to for years. And as... Uh, Police officers and firemen and EMS workers and steel workers and construction workers started getting cancers that they had never seen before. Politicians were forced to tell the truth. And I'm going to shame this one person during 9-11. Christine Todd Whitman, who was the lieutenant governor at the time, said publicly, the air is perfectly fine to breathe. That was such a lie that her nose should have been growing like Pinocchio. And... Other politicians mirrored what she had said when it was clear 
that that was not true. It was an absolute, absolute lie. So we wanted to cover this just to, again, draw these parallels and, and show the, what these people have to do. They really have to get on board right now with a law firm and sue because, you know, some of them will have uninhabitable homes. Think of your home as, as the biggest investment you, you ever make as, as an adult, right? And think if your home became uninhabitable because of toxic chemicals in the water and in the ground and in the air. And I, I'm not qualified enough to say, oh, that's going to happen. But we've seen it happen before. And there's a lot of tricks that these big corporations like Norfolk Southern, they've offered people money to, uh, to assist them to stay at a hotel. or to. But what they don't tell them, a lawyer for the, uh, for the townspeople has told them, don't take that money. Because you don't know if there's a little fine print on what they're surely going to make you sign that says, oh, you've agreed that you've settled this case for any future lawsuits you may have against Norfolk Southern. So these are the kind of tricks that these big corporations use. So an attorney for the townspeople is telling them not to accept that money. If I seem passionate about this, it's because I've seen a lot of my brethren, a lot of my brothers from the NYPD, the FDNY, steel workers, construction workers, EMS workers, court officers, die of cancer from 9-11 the air that was very safe to breathe. So if I'm passionate, that is one of the reasons why. Joining me tonight on this uh, on this topic is going to be straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. And with us also is retired NYPD sergeant and professor, law degree, Professor Mike Geary. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Good, Billy. Thank you for having me. Well, it's it's a pleasure because I also like to, you know, sort of put you under a spotlight because I think anyone that responded to 9-11 deserves to be acknowledged for that. You know, and even though we all say we'd do it again if it happened tomorrow, we would. Absolutely. Knowing what we know about the sickness and the dangers of it, we would do it again because we raised our right hand and we, we swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the state of New York. And we would do it again. Phil, what are your feelings on this whole caper? Well, right off the bat, Billy, uh, you know, uh, after 9-11 happened, Christy Tide Whitman, I believe uh, you said she was lieutenant governor. I believe she was the head of the EPA. And she said that the air was safe right early on. As we know, uh, you know, we lost many friends to it. We all suffered the illnesses. Uh, when I went for my first screening in 2007, my lung capacity was 23% diminished over the years uh, on several different medications, amongst other things, but the lungs was the major thing. It did get a little better, but I just hope and pray that we're not going to go through the same scenario that we went through on 9-11 with, uh, you know, the nonsense and the hiding and the government uh, not giving us the real story. I just think that the whole thing right from the beginning was a, a, a bit of a, a screw up because they were able to take these toxic, like you said, there were about 20 cars of toxic material. They were able to uh, take the uh, toxic materials and divert it into a pit that they had dug out. And then they set it on fire. They, what they did was they actually dispersed it to the whole area. I believe, I think it was 
pretty much contained. The reasoning behind that, I really don't know, but I'm thinking it could be perhaps they wanted to clear the area so other trains could get through. And that was probably the quickest way to get rid of the uh, the toxic chemicals. But again, what, what it really did was, and you showed that picture, that ominous black cloud of uh, chemicals spewing into the air. And what it did right there, I mean, if that's not uh, a scary photograph, I don't know what is. And I really feel for the people in that area, it's on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border where this took place, actually inside of Ohio, but very close to Pennsylvania. And um, like you said, Billy, if you have your biggest investment in your life, which is usually your home, uh, those people lost their biggest investment because who's going to now buy that home? Let's say people want to retire 10 years from now. Who's going to buy that home in that area now that it's been uh, you know, spread with this toxic, uh, this toxic waste? Absolutely. Mike, uh, your feelings, uh, Mike, after you go on, uh, you know, something, actually, let me play this first, Mike, and then I'm going to get to you. Okay. Nation concerns are bubbling in eastern Ohio, as residents are told it is safe to return to East Palestine. State officials confirm that toxic chemicals entered the Ohio River after about 50 cars derailed in a fiery crash. Contaminants from derailed cars spilled into some waterways and were toxic to about 3,500 fish. Ohio Department of Health encouraging people to use bottled water. At higher levels, especially over a longer period of time, then we can have longer term health effects. And that's why there is the concern around these compounds. Norfolk Southern Railway says with the EPA, it has completed more than 115 in-home air tests and that none have detected any of the substances related to the incident. But families say they are worried. My grandbabies, that's why I bought this property, so they could play in the creek and have a good time, but I ain't putting them in it this year. I don't know if I'll ever put them back in it. In East Palestine, gas detectors line the town. Oh, God. Ashley McCollum telling ABC's Alex Prochet how she's moved her children to different schools after they complained of headaches and pains following the derailment. I don't know if we'll ever have that sense of feeling safe. The Ohio governor says he understands the town's anger. Again, tonight, residents will be allowed to voice their concerns and ask questions. And the meeting is expected to be, quote, spirited. What do you think, Mike? You know, we can't kind of keep hearing this stuff every time there's a, a disaster like this. Um, as you were talking I just went to my phone and I got a picture of my buddy from uh, 9-11. He was down by ground zero and you could see he's sitting there, no mask on, no booties on, no jacket on, nothing like that. He's got a mask, a little surgical mask, and it's on his belt. Everybody's walking around and they were telling us after 9-11, like two days later, don't worry about it. It's fine. You've, you've seen the effects. Phil, you felt the effects. I got lucky personally. Um, I didn't have to inhale the, the, the stuff on 9-11, um, no direct blast. But the, the idea that, you know, the EPA is going to be telling us the, the truth, um, take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely take it with a grain of salt. And those people there, if they don't believe what the government says, I think they have good reason not to trust the government in this case. Well, you know, Mike, one of the things is that uh, that we can attest to, this is not something that, that shows up the next day. This is a long-term thing. So 
If you're sick, it may not show up for six months. It may not show up for a year. It may show up two years or three years later. All of a sudden, you have some cancer that they've never seen before. And these poor people that live there, what can they do about it? Right. All they can do is hopefully they have a good law firm that takes on a class action suit against Norfolk Southern. And I'm also appalled by the way our government hasn't aggressively jumped in there. They seem like they're almost on the side of Norfolk Southern. It really, it really bothers me. Let me play this also here. It's been 12 days since the fiery derailment of a train carrying hazardous chemicals through East Palestine, Ohio, and the plan burned to prevent a potentially catastrophic explosion. Residents worry about what's still in the air, soil, and water of their rural community. Don't tell me it's safe. Something's going on. If a fish are floating in the creek. Ohio officials confirming some 3,500 fish died in local waters in the days after the derailment, but insist extensive testing shows there's no threat to other wildlife or humans. They say there's only anecdotal evidence of residents getting sick and no confirmed connection to the hazardous chemicals aboard the train. I definitely have a right to know what was on that train. Still, for the first time, state officials suggested residents returning to the evacuation zone use bottled water, especially if they have a private well while testing continues. The governor was asked if he would return home if he lived near the crash site. I think that I would be drinking the bottled water. I would be alert and, and concerned, but uh, I would probably be back in my house. An answer leaving some residents with mixed emotions. I feel about 80% safe. Ben Ratner and his family live half a mile from the crash site. Their kids are back in school after being out for a week. It sounds like you're still worried. I think more so worried for the long term. Residents have filed multiple class action lawsuits seeking damages from the rail operator Norfolk Southern, including free health monitoring and screening. The company says it has already paid residents more than a million dollars in assistance and that it's committed to cleaning up any contamination. Mike, I asked you before if you could list the chemicals that oh, yes. were released based on this uh, derailment. And I think it's important for our audience. Some of them you can't even pronounce. It's oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. To hear, to hear what's out there because it's, uh, you know, when people are expected just to live among these chemicals, like it's yeah. part of their daily life, as they're inhaling them, drinking it in the water, having it in their soil, you know, it, it's just, it's amazing how, they think people are stupid. Yeah, that someone mentioned there's anecdotal evidence. Where did they get that from? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'll just read the, the list that I have so far vinyl chloride, ethylene glycol, ethylexyl acrylate, isobutylene, butyl acrylate. These are all chemicals that are used in all kinds of. Uh, glues and other products and caulking and and they're very very volatile and uh, I, I think the vinyl chloride i think it's used in paint or something yes like i think it used something to do with paint and it's very very um it, it was also used as a chemical agent during i think it was world war ii uh you know so again yeah. very very toxic and oh, yeah. in one of the lawsuits it mentions 1.1 million pounds of vinyl chloride was released into the area and i don't know if that's accurate or not but uh when you think about the way that they handle this 
I mean, it was it was pretty much contained. I know there was a fire burn, and they were talking about how they were worried about the other cars exploding, the other train cars. But they were pouring water on them to keep the temperature down, and it was working. But then they decided, no, we're going to dig this pit. We're going to divert all of these chemicals into the pit and light it on fire. I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, to me, that was just like dispersing it into the area. It really did not make sense to me. I mean, it's easy for me to Monday morning quarterback now. I don't know. Uh, you know, I wasn't there. I, I'm not the expert on it, but common sense. I don't know. It doesn't seem like they did the right thing there. Uh, Jeff R., this is a great question. What were all of these chemicals doing on this one particular train all at the same time? That well, Jeff, one of the things also is, and I'm sure this is done every single day and we don't know about it. There was 150 cars on this train. I don't know what rail law is, how many cars you're allowed to have, but if you've ever had your car at a railroad crossing and you see a freight train, it seems like it's never going to stop, you know, especially when you're upstate somewhere in New York, way upstate, you see these trains are so long. 20 of these cars out of the 150 had toxic chemicals on them. So I don't, again, I don't know what the NTSB is, the, the National Transportation Safety Board. It's going to be their job to investigate this and to see if any Laws were broken in this. Um, look, I don't, I, I don't trust the government. Period. We were lied to on 9/11. After 9/11, even you know, I tend to be a little bit to the right politically. Our friends to the right didn't even want us to get any money. The Republicans fought the the 9/11 first responders getting money, and I'm sorry, folks in the chat, that think that's 100 true. And if it wasn't up to a guy named John Stewart, who fought tooth and nail to get the 9-11 fund approved and re-upped and re-upped so people with cancer that are dying, if it wasn't for him, they, they wouldn't have passed this bill. It's more important to give money to other people, not first responders. Oh, they were, they were big praising the first responders when it happened. And when it came time, they're like, hey, thousands of these guys are sick right now. Firemen, cops, EMS workers, court officers, even people that live down there, they're sick. What are you going to do about it? Oh, well, there's no money for it. Really? There's no money for it. Is that right? You, you know, Billy, uh, what you just uh, talked about with uh, with uh, John Stewart, it reminds me of two different individuals. Ray Pfeiffer, who was a fireman that was dying of cancer and went uh, to uh, testify on the Hill. And uh, Lou Alvarez, who was a detective in a bomb squad, mm -hmm. uh, he testified. He looked like a skeleton. He was so riddled with cancer. He had days to live. And he went up there and testified and got the, uh, the Zadroga bill passed and then re-upped. So those are just two of many, many names that John Field of the Feel Good Foundation, who also uh, was a big, very instrumental in getting those bills passed alongside of John Stewart. Every time you saw John Stewart, you saw John Field uh, standing next to him from the Feel Good Foundation. And there were many people that helped us, but you're 100% correct that uh, when they wanted to refund the bill, the, re the Republicans, and I tend to be a little towards the right myself. I consider myself a conservative, a common sense conservative. However, the uh, Republicans did, uh, you know, they did fight it tooth and nail and the Democrats did get it passed. But uh, again, that's, uh, you know, a story for another day. Let's just hope that we can put our best foot forward. We got to get the president on board with this. He hasn't made too much comment about it. This thing is going on two weeks. He hasn't been out there. Where's his transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg? I mean, he, he tried to blame it on the Trump administration in a tweet earlier today. 
way. I mean, come on. The, uh, Trump's been out of office over two years. That train has taken, you know, left the station. I, I'm sorry to use that analogy, but he's he's looking to blame Trump. Come on now. You know, you know Phil, with, with, this, with this incident, <clears throat> from our experience, I just want the people that live, and I, if there's any people in the chat that live near Palestine, Ohio, just be aware that, you know, this is a long-term fight. They're going to try to put this off and pretend the water's safe, the air is safe, the soil's safe, the fish are acting, you know. <laughs> they're not really dead. They're playing dead, you know. These people are unbelievable. And as a lot of people, some people that work for the railroad said, look, this railroad's owned by big corporations, you know, and there's a lot of money and power behind this. So they'll do whatever possible to try not to take responsibility to the people in this community that are going to be sick and are going to be sick for years and years. I want to play a little more of a, another video uh, that tells a little bit more about the toxins that were released. Fears of a wider health and environmental disaster are growing after a 150-car freight train operated by Norfolk Southern derailed and released toxic chemicals last week. Yes, in the community of East Palestine near Ohio's border with Pennsylvania. Data released by the Environmental Protection Agency shows the train contained more toxic and carcinogenic chemicals than initially reported. The EPA also said, quote, materials released during the derailment were observed and detected in samples from sulfur for Run, Leslie Run, Bull Creek, North Fork, uh, Little Beaver Creek, and the Ohio River. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources estimates the spill killed more than 3,500 fish in surrounding waterways. Chickens have been found dead in their coops. Residents have reported sore throats, burning eyes, and respiratory problems. A controlled burn of the chemicals following the derailment sent a mushroom cloud of smoke and fire into the air that contained the toxic chemicals. Surveillance footage also shows the train on fire about 20 miles before it derailed with hazardous chemicals as it passed through Salem, Ohio. Officials lifted an evacuation order for residents Wednesday saying the air and water are safe. For more, we're joined by three guests. Ross Gruders is with us, locomotive engineer, co-chair of Railroad Workers United. Julia Rock joins us, an investigative reporter with The Lever, who's been following the derailment in Ohio. Her piece is headlined, There Will Be More Derailments and Rail Companies Block Safety Rules Before Ohio Derailment. But we begin with Emily Wright, a resident of Columbiana County um, in Ohio, a few miles from the derailment. So this is disgraceful, right? Here they are. There's all of these people. And there's proof that some of the chemicals and the water went to other states very quickly. And they're already declaring everything safe. Two, not even two weeks later. This happened on February 3rd at 9 p.m. at night. All of a sudden, on February 16th, everything's safe. Oh, we're all going to have a party because... Only 3,500 fish died and no one else is sick. I find this really despicable. I find it disgusting. And I'll, look, I blame our government too. And not Republicans, not Democrats, both of them. They should all be on this case. How about the media? Most of the media is not even covering this. Or they're covering it like, oh, yeah, there's a there was a, a train derailment in Palestine, Ohio. 
uh, chemicals were released. That's it. Boom. They got, they're done with it already. You know, this is a big story. This is a huge story. Absolutely, Billy. I think that uh, uh, the the coverage has been very, very light. Uh, I've only seen it on cable news. The local news really hasn't touched on it until uh, the last day or two. Uh, and again, like you said, this is going to be a long-term problem. This is uh, spread over a very, very large area. They're saying it's uh, uh, an area of 4,700 people. Palestine is, uh, uh, I think it's East Palestine. It's got 4,700 people living in the town. But again, this because of that controlled burn, that spewed it all over the place. Uh, we're going to probably feel it all over the Northeast, I think, at some point. Um, again, uh, long term, uh, something that is, uh, everybody needs to get on the same page. They should have contained it and try to deal with it. Uh, without doing that burn, I think that was a real mistake. But let's get together and try and work on it now. And uh, again, these people are going to need help long term. You know, there's someone in the chat, Mary Michael. Uh, I'm going to put this up there and I was going to bring this up later on. Mary Michael says, if they knew the train was on fire 20 miles out, why didn't they stop the train before the derailment? Great, great question. Supposedly, according to the National Transportation Safety Board, what caused a derailment was a bad ball bearing on one wheel of one car. And that caused this horrific train derailment. Allegedly, and I'm, I don't have a specific um, proof of this, but that car, that specific car had been flagged before. Days before, Billy, not having, long before. Having this same type of problem. But according to many people who work for these railroads, the inspections are very, very quick and lackadaisical, and they're taking safety for granted. And look what can happen. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, Billy, um, I think uh, it's, it's always profit before safety. And I think the controlled burn, I agree with Phil, that was probably done to speed up getting the tracks back in working order. But it it posed a, it po now poses a... Uh, terrible danger to, like you say, people in West Virginia, people in Pennsylvania, people in Ohio, and it's, it's infiltrated the air, the water, you know, um, the far, the land. Um, and so they took a, a, a terrible situation and they may, I think they made it worse. They made it worse only because they wanted to expedite getting the tracks back up in working order. What I'd like to see is some sort of, uh, the insurance company that insures, uh, the uh, uh, train train company, the insurance company that does their right underwrites them, put together some sort of fund that will be in existence for like say twenty years to help the people there with their health issues. That would show some sort of commitment and um, and taking the taking responsibility for their actions. You know, Mike, I I always knew you were smart, and that's why I uh, put you on the show. That's a you know something they they actually, although you you did copy that from nine eleven because they did ask for that at nine yeah. eleven. And I remember, if we want to trounce on um, politicians, the mayor after Giuliani was Michael Bloomberg, right? And Michael Bloomberg hired a six hundred and fifty dollar an hour law firm to fight claims against the 9-11 fund by the people who were sick. You can't make this stuff up. Right. You cannot make it up. The evil in politics is unbelievable. And if you guys don't believe me, look that up. That absolutely happened. And when and that, when this law firm came before this judge, he said, 
You guys are getting six fifty an hour. No, you're not. I'm cutting that right now. I, I don't know. No, I know we cut it at least in half. Yeah, like you're not making we... six hundred and fifty an hour off the blood and guts of 9-11 first responders. And the judge, to his credit, cut their hourly fee down. And then I think it lost a lot of steam, and it, which led to the Zadroga bill, which was a detective that had horrific cancer and died, and he couldn't get funding for his medical attention. And that led to the whole John Stewart thing and shaming Congress into uh, re-upping the funds for the 9-11 first responders. Billy, I think you hit on something a little bit earlier about the train wheel and the inspections that are done. Listen to this statistic. This comes from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics Records. 54,539 train derailments between 1990 to 2021, which is an average of 1,704 per year. Now, that is way too much. Why are there so many derailments? It sounds like the inspection process needs to be revamped and maybe needs to be more inspectors. Instead of hiring 83,000 IRS agents, how about some more train inspectors to inspect these vehicles that are traveling through cities and small towns carrying this toxic material and you have a a tremendous disaster that just occurred. And uh, not only did it occur, then they went and spread it by doing this uh, controlled burn. Uh, I don't like those statistics there. When I heard it today, they said there's about a thousand a year now. Uh, I thought that that was quite high. So I looked it up and I came up with this statistic, which averages out to 1700 from 1990 to 2021. So way too many derailments. Uh, I just can't believe the numbers that are out there. There definitely needs to be something done with regard to inspections of these, uh, of these 150 train car trains that are going through, uh, you know, all areas of the country. Absolutely. Folks. If you're looking to for a good podcast and you're looking for a podcast from a police perspective, you're in the right place. And uh, if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell, share us with your friends and your family. Tell them about the Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories podcast. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And we also have a YouTube channel members with count them five different members. And you see the folks in the green font. They're part of our YouTube channel member family. And we really appreciate all our friends, fans, subscribers, whatever you want to call them. But we we really appreciate them. And folks, this story is a little bit off the crime, not a true crime thing. But it's really important, I think, to everyone in this country and also specifically to us who are 9-11 first responders. When we hear... When we hear our government officials lying and telling the same tired stories, it really it really disturbs us. Mike, thoughts? Yeah, I want to just you know follow up with what Phil said about the inspections. Besides the inspections, also for the train cars, what about the uh, infrastructure, the railroad tracks? Um, are we sending? Are we uh, budgeting enough money in the Department of Transportation in that sort of thing to fund uh, inspections inspections of the tracks? And refurbishing of the tracks, those tracks, we don't know how long they've been down, how long it's been since they've actually been, uh, you know, refurbished. And so that, to me, is also a problem also, is you got to invest in basic infrastructure, like highways, and you have to be in basic infrastructure in uh, rail. Rail, they think, is much more efficient because you can handle a lot more uh, for less money. But, you know, if you're going to save money, you got to also invest it on the other end and to ensure 
when these trains go through these small towns where people live, they're not out in the middle of nowhere. They go through a lot of towns and that it's the safest it can possibly be for the American public. You know, Mike, it's so almost similar to when people talk about police reform. And one of the first things they always say is they need more training. Mm -hmm. And then, but they don't really mean that because training costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It costs money and it takes cops off patrol. Right. And when they'll say that, but they absolutely do not mean it. And paying cops more, of course, is important. Educating cops more, you know. Uh, but as I said, training is one of the most important things. And oh, the standards, right. the standards of cops, they've built instead of raising them, they're lowering them. So all of this nonsense that we hear, even in our field in law enforcement, right. we're hearing the same lies in, you know, in regards to a train derailment. And it's really pathetic. It's really pathetic. Phil. You know, Billy, when you said you wanted to do a show on this topic, even though it's not true crime related, so to speak, it really is, uh, it relates to us. It hits home because we were down at ground zero. And like you said, uh, I knew on that day I was going down there. Uh, you know, I was at home when, when the attacks occurred, but I got down there later on in the day. And, uh, if tomorrow morning, God forbid, something like that happened again, I would go again. And knowing that, uh, you know, you're, you're subjecting your yourself to, uh, you know, these toxins and everything. It's funny because at the time that they were telling us, you know, Christy Todd Whitman going on the news and saying that everything was uh, safe and the air was being tested. We knew when I was on that pile, we would talk about it. We'd wear a mask. And when we, you know, got off the smoky area of the pile and we would talk, you know, we take it off. We, we would say, we know that this ain't going to be good. It's, 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 we're breathing in bad stuff. And, you know, down the line, we all knew and sure enough, it all came true. So again, it really hits home for us. And, uh, you know, you can't trust what you're being told in the media these days. I, I have no faith in the media. It's just, there's numerous examples of things that they don't tell the truth about. It seems like we got a little bit, it's two weeks in and now the media is starting to pick up on it. And hopefully uh, just as that governor DeWine said, he wouldn't drink the water. He wants to still drink bottled water. He was pretty, uh, pretty upfront about that. And one of the quotes I saw that he gave in the last day or two, he said that he would be concerned because when he got to the location, there was an, a very acrid smell still, you know, it's two, weeks, almost two weeks down the line. And he said that the, between the smell uh, and what's going on, he'd, uh, he'd definitely try to stay out of the area and drink the bottled water. So at least we have somebody that seems to be telling the truth. I want to play a little bit of this. They're, they're essentially offering two types of fees. One is what we would call a, a reimbursement fee, which Norfolk and Southern claims uh, they're going to give to people within a one mile radius. Uh, for hotels and other, um, you know, types of necessities immediately after the evacuation. And the second is this thing called a um, inconvenience fee, a, a standard $1,000 per person check. Uh, we're suggesting to folks that can afford it. And again, we recognize that some cannot, um, that, uh, that um, they don't accept that either of those two fees because it might be, uh, um, argued later as a settlement of any claim that they have past, present, or future, um, you know, against the railroad for what they did here. So, um, and we have a little history here back in 2005, they, they had a, 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 you know, a railroad accident where they went around offering what I would call a dangle money um, or trickle money to folks and they took it. And then they later argued that these folks had settled their claims. So we want to get out the word to folks do not, 
if you can afford it, again, emphasizing if you can afford it, do not take this, um, um, you know, upfront money. Um, but if you do, um, you know, be aware that, that these folks might might argue later that um, that this is payment in full. Now, I will tell you that I was on the phone yesterday with a lawyer for Norfolk and Southern, and we prepared a document that memorialized the press releases that they're sending out to everybody saying this is not payment in full or a compromise of any claims. I said, good. Thank you for calling. Um, can you sign the agreement that basically ratifies what your public relations folks are saying? And they said they would not. So that got our spidey sense, you know, if I can use that term, even more tingling um, about what's going on. So That is scary, isn't it, Mike? Absolutely. How scary is that, that these dirtbags for this, uh, that's a good term to call these the uh, Norfolk Southern dirtbags, they're already thinking of lawsuits because they know they're coming. And sure. they're trying to use tricks to get rid of some of the plaintiffs. And it's really it, it, like someone maybe that's not uh, educated, or not even not educated, just poor. They need the money to go stay in a hotel. Man. And if they take a thousand dollars and then they realize they signed their life away, they could potentially get millions years later because they got cancer or they got some other horrific disease from this. It's coming. All the stuff is coming. And here these either here they are with their PR firm. Oh no, yeah, we'll go, we're gonna take care of everything. It's like it's a flim flam. It really is. Once the attorneys say we will not you know, abide by what our public relations firm is saying, you know, there's a hitch, you know, that's the catch. And the attorneys, they're, they're representing their client. They don't, they don't have any mercy on the local people. They're representing you know, Norfolk Southern and Norfolk Southern's insurance company, because they're eventually, ultimately the people who will pay out. But uh, the advice for people not to take a dollar from, from uh, Norfolk Southern, whoever's offering it, is good, solid advice. Because if you don't take the money, um, they, can, they can't say that you settled the claim. Sadly, you know, if they act with some sort of uh, responsibility up front, quickly establish some sort of fund and help the people, um, they would be in a much better position. But uh, as you know, and we all know from 9-11, there's people dying 20 years later from this stuff. This stuff is in the soil. It's it's in the air. It's it's affecting chickens. It's affecting. It's going to affect trees. It's going to affect any, all kinds of wildlife, fish. Um, it's going to be in the ground for a generation. And uh, sadly, this you know with the, with the news media, they go on to something else two or three days later once they get some footage of some other disaster or some other story. But this is something that the people there have to live with for 20 years. 100%. You know, do you remember, guys, 19, I think it was 1978, the Love Canal? And I'm going to read mm -hmm. something from that. This was up near Buffalo. 25 years after the Hooker Chemical Company stopped using the Love Canal, here as an industrial dump, 82 different compounds, 11 of them suspected carcinogens have been percolating upward through the soil. Their drum containers rotting and, and leaching their contents into the backyard's and basements of 100 homes and a public school built on the banks of the canal. So many of those people got cancer. And just to, to fast forward, I want to have to tell the whole story. They built a community on top of a dump 
that chemicals were dumped underneath the ground. And years later, the chemicals rose up. People got cancer, birth defects to the children, all kinds of stuff. And, of course, they use the same tricks that we're hearing right now that uh, Norfolk Southern is using. You know, Billy, if Norfolk Southern was genuine in their attempt to try and help the people of that community, instead of waving uh, checks in front of their nose, they could just buy out hotel rooms and tell people, okay, till we feel that the air is safe, go stay in these hotels. They they, they, they said they put out a million dollars already. That could buy a lot of hotel rooms. How about sending in truckloads of bottled water into the area? If they're genuine, those are the first two things that come into my mind. And I'm not Norfolk Southern uh, Rail Company. And I'm just sitting here, you know, trying to uh, spitball and come up with an idea. I don't think they're genuine waving that money around. And again, because the PR firm is saying, and one thing, and the, the the law firm is saying, no, we're not going to sign on to that. What does that tell you? There's, there's uh, you know, sort of like a uh, a bait and switch, so to speak. You know, here, take this money, and then if God forbid something down the line, you join on a, a class action lawsuit, they'll able to say, oh no, 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 you, we have this check that you you signed for this, and then uh, you know, you're you're out of luck. Tom Cusinelli, uh, good point. Insurance companies had engineers fudging reports during Hurricane Sandy. I'm sure all of that nonsense is already happening here, and it's early on. It's it's like just about two weeks later, right? Uh, and they're already doing – and it just drives me crazy when I hear the lies that not only does this company, Norfolk Southern, but our own government starts – the EPA, oh, yes, the water's safe. All the wells we tested, the groundwater, the soil, the fish, they're all happy. You know, it's like ridiculous – because first of all, it's too early, EPA. We gotta wait six months. You know, oh yeah, test now. But this stuff is percolating right now. Well, I don't believe the numbers, Billy. I don't believe it was thirty five hundred fish. I just don't believe those numbers. Uh, it's probably going to be millions, you know, by the time this thing is really. I mean, there was a, a woman on the news last night that had five chickens. They're all dead. Uh, you know, so what does that tell you? Chickens, uh, they're breathing in the air and boom, they're dead. So, and, and there's going to be a lot of wildlife that's going to wind up being, uh, you know, succumb to this, this toxic, uh, waste that they spewed into the air. So again, I, I don't believe anything that they're reporting. 3,500 sounds like nothing to me with regard to the fish in the area. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely horrific. I want to play a little bit more of this and we'll, uh, we'll comment after this, this is played of that toxic train disaster are now demanding answers after being told it's safe to return home because the EPA says it hasn't detected unsafe levels of toxins since the cleanup, but they're saying that thousands of fish have died in nearby waters. ABC's Alex Prochet has the latest now from Ohio. Hey, Kira. Yeah, residents in East Palestine are being told it's safe to return home, but there's still lingering questions about potential contaminants from that train derailment. The state health director recommending people in the community consider using bottled water. And take a look at this. Surveillance video obtained by ABC News shows a train about 20 miles outside of East Palestine less than an hour before that 50-car derailment. The NTS. That's amazing. There you see, uh, that was what we were talking about before, that 20 miles outside of where the actual derailment happened, uh, a camera caught the car in question that had the bad ball bearing on fire. And, you know, I guess no one reported it. I don't know how you could report it if you saw that, how you're going to call the train or you just call the police or you call up, sure they get a number 
to get to the train, stop the train. One of your cars is on fire, which is obviously not a good sign for anything. I mean, can't there be sensors on every train car that could pick up something like this? I, I don't know. It just seems uh, 20 miles out. That's a long time for, you know, it's, 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 it's an hour. They said it's like an hour. Uh, it's an hour away. So that that thing, that's obviously what started the, uh, the, the derailment and the big fire. The thing was already on fire tw- an hour before. So, again, uh, something something needs to be done to improve the safety of these uh, these trains that are moving through all these different communities in the United States. Uh, you know, see the numbers, just it's incredible. SB believes those sparks are from what appears to be a wheel bearing in the final stage of overheat failure. Norfolk Southern says with the EPA, it has completed more than 115 in-home air tests and that none have detected any of the substances related to the incident. It says it's conducted more than 400 tests total. Yet officials are reporting that 3,500 fish across 12 different species have died in Ohio's waterways. And some residents report their pets, including cats and chickens, have died. In East Palestine, these gas detectors dot the town. And now consumer advocate Aaron Brockovich, who fought for clean groundwater in her California town, has stepped in to help. And Kira, the governor here says he understands the community's anger. There's going to be a town hall tonight. And Kira is expected to be spirited. All right, Alex, thank you so much. And for more, Ben Ratner, who lives in East Palestine, Ohio, and lives within the one-mile radius of the location of this train derailment, was actually forced to evacuate with his wife, Lindsay, and their four kids. We're going to be talking to him as soon as we are able to connect with him via Zoom, and it looks like we've got him now. So, Ben, first off, when did you and your family actually get to return back to your home? Yes, we returned uh, Saturday. The order was lifted on Thursday, and uh, it's it's been a little interesting trying to navigate being back. I could just imagine. I mean, you spoke with our Brad Milkey on ABC's uh, Start Here podcast, and you told him when the initial derailment happened, you could actually taste a mix of gasoline, paint thinner, nail polish remover. Has that subsided? Yeah, it's uh, that was initially early on. It definitely was in the air uh, leading into uh, and leading into the evacuation being lifted. But after that controlled blast, it was definitely in the air and. I know a few people that live closer to the uh, incident and they have the waterways in their backyard. And when it's hot or warmer or sunny, they can smell the, the water and they're really being careful about letting their dogs outside. Wow. So how are you and your four kids feeling now? What are you? I think that that's a better gauge as to whether the water, the air and the soil uh, is safe uh, talking to someone from the community than believing someone from the EPA who has an axe to grind in this game to say everything's safe, let's go back to life as usual, let's get those trains running, let's get the money flowing. You know, you know. look, I remember during 9-11 there were people that said, oh, the, 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 the material from the towers wasn't really toxic. There was a, saw, there was a sergeant uh, who had his uniform from 9-11 in his locker for, I think, five or six years. It was in a plastic bag. 
And he said, I still got my uniform. They took that out. It was five and six years later, they put a Geiger counter to it or whatever me measures toxicity. And it almost blew up the machine. It was still so toxic five or six years later. And it was like, hey, let's have some of these politicians put this uniform on and go to their next meeting, you know? You know, Billy, when you brought up uh, Zadroga before, Detective Zadroga, when they did the autopsy on his body, they found components inside his body, uh, mercury at very high levels, pulverized glass, concrete, all these different toxins that were inside of those buildings. There was over a million fluorescent bulbs which have mercury in it. And obviously after the collapse, all of that was just uh, uh, mixed together and pulverized and very easy, easy to breathe in those tiny particles and uh, for it to build up inside of your body and your lungs. So again, uh, this is, uh, it, it's just, it, it's a terrible situation. And I, I read in the chat, somebody said that it wasn't the EPA that did some of the testing. It was a private company, but when you're doing testing inside of a home, perhaps the toxins didn't make it inside of the home. You know, it's the winter time. People might not have air conditioning on or windows open. So it may not be in there yet. However, if you test the soil and the water and the air and, and the areas where these fish are dying and these chickens are found dead or these other livestock and wild, wild animals that are found dead, that's where you might find the, the residue of, of some of these components. Joey Brooklyn, that is the quote of the century. The air is safe. Christy Todd Whitman, 9-11. Yep. Thank you, that, Joe. That was the rallying cry of every you know, every union official for the NYPD, all the cops that responded down there, the air is safe. Is that right? Is that right? Unbelievable that a politician could say that. And look, she wasn't the only one that was claiming, you know, it took probably uh, two to three days for us to get the good masks, the, um, that covered your face and they, I forgot what they're called. They had the air they have canisters. They were had like, yeah. Because we were using just like, you know, the kind of mask that you wore during COVID. That's <laughs> it's a pleasure. I remember when we first got down there, I was with Jimmy Zarakis from the 2 3 squad, Zedekiah Jennings, 2 3 squad, and um, why am I having a Jimmy Zarakis? Oh, and Billy Hicks and myself. We're in uniform. And there was no masks. There were nothing. We couldn't even see. The air was so thick. We went into a store and we bought bandanas. Like we looked like the bloods. We had these red bandanas stretched across our nose and our mouth because we, we couldn't really breathe. We were breathing like, you know, pulverized cement. And you could feel it going into your lungs. It was horrible. And that's what we had. And I think for the first couple of days, that's what all cops had. They didn't have any breathing apparatus for you. And that's when the, I believe the most damage was done to your lungs was during the first 12 to 24 hours after 9-11. So I don't believe anything that these people are saying in uh, Palestine, uh, Ohio. Mike. Yeah, I remember 9-11 and remember the, the burning after the buildings collapsed. Those the, the, the heat inside the building and all the uh, chemicals were just burning and it was like just black and all kinds of crazy smoke for days after 9-11. It wasn't just like the things just collapsed and stuff spewed all over the neighborhood. Mike, it wasn't over. days. It, it, it was weeks. Yeah. It was weeks. It was like two to three weeks. All of that jet fuel was burning. Just, just burning and burning and burning and burning all that toxic stuff. And it was burning. Not only the fuel was burning, but it was burning everything it touched. It was burning the concrete. It was burning 
uh, flesh. It was burning clothes. It was burning plastic. Well, you know, all the just look at all the plastic and stuff that you see in a building and all the, you know, the, the glue and things like that. It was burning like crazy. The only thing that the only good thing that may come from something like this in Ohio, in Palestine, Ohio, is if they come up with better protocols for transportation of these chemicals. We're not going to get rid of these chemicals. We, we use them in everyday life. But how do we handle them? Um, and hopefully there'll be some, you know, uh, thoughts about how we can actually make some progress, handle the handling of this safer for the communities and the people who are working on the railroads. Hopefully something good will come out of this tragedy. I agree. Well, with you. I, I think that, you know, someone just put, um, wait a minute, here we go. Chris, Chris Molly, I suppose it's a geologist or better yet a seismologist question. But is it plausible a fault lines involved in train derailment night of February 3rd before West Seneca, New York, biggest EQ in 40 years, 2623? I'm not exactly sure what you're referring to, um, Chris. I know that this, this occurred on 2323, uh, but they, they the NTSB has determined that this occurred from a faulty ball bearing on a, tra on a, a car, train car that they've identified. And even further identified from the video that we just showed, it was up in flames. So uh, what you say is very possible. Could a, um, uh, you know, a seismic, maybe jolt cause something like that? It could, but not in this instance. Yeah, I think it was clear when you see that video uh, 20 miles an hour before the actual derailment takes place, you see that uh, sparks and fire underneath it at, at one train car. So I think that that's obviously the cause right there. I don't think we have to go any further on that. No, I don't think so. Phil? Joe Murray, attorney at law. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe is a big supporter of police off the cuff, real crime stories. He packs a hell of a punch and he's a big son of a gun. <laughs> That's for sure. There he is right there. What do you want from me? All right. <laughs> That's what most attorneys say. What do you want from me? You know, <laughs> uh, my man, John Murray, where do we go from here? The people in the Palestine community, if you were their attorney right now, or even a friend, an advisor, what would you advise them to do? Because there's a lot of noise coming out of there, but they're in for a long haul. They're in for some bad stuff over the long term. And it's like both Norfolk Southern and our government is just trying to like wash their hands of, oh, no, it's all over. It's over. There's no problems. The problems have just begun. They should hire, they should hire a, a team of good attorneys, pool their resources together, hire a good team of legal attorneys, uh, initiate a lawsuit. While that's starting, everybody's got to get separate uh, private testing of their well water because apparently a lot of people in that rural area have are using well water, their own well water. Um, they've got to cap capture those fish. And they have to have them looked at, see what, you know, like an autopsy on a fish to see what they've died of. Um, their pets, they have to uh, they have to start keeping records of all the, the, the uh, livestock that has died, all, all the... Um, well, the pets that have died, uh, the chickens that have died, they've got to account for all these things. And eventually, 
uh, bring a lawsuit as a class action lawsuit against, uh, you know, Norfolk Southern um, and then go from there. It's, it's going to be a long, drawn out process before any sort of something that we can call justice occurs. But they're in for the long haul. They got to prepare mentally for a long fight and not take a dollar from these people if you could help it. Not take a dollar and join together and um, get going on this because they can't rely on the government and they can't rely on Norfolk Southern to look out for them. That that Mike, I don't think they have to hire anyone. I think that there's going to be a law firm that on consignment uh, because they're going to win the case. Uh, they're going to take. They're going to represent everyone that yeah. signs up for it from this neighborhood. They're not going to have to come out with a dime out of their pocket to hire this law firm. But when they do win their suit, realize they get thirty three percent of whatever off they the win top. for you. Right off, off the, the top. top before you get a penny. But right, uh, exactly. that's the reality of litigation in America today. Absolutely. I mean, it costs a lot of money, but uh, as I said, they're not going to. Uh, they're not going to have to spend a dime. Let me play a little bit more of this. That's where we are right now. All right, but there's nothing written or attached to any of these checks, Michael, that says, all right, if you accept this, uh, any further, even up to litigation, cannot be considered um, against Norfolk Southern, the, the, that we know of. That, that we know of, although some folks, in order to get their combined, they would combine the checks of the reimbursement and the inconvenience fee into one check. They had to fill out a form, and we'll talk about the W-9 uh, uh, okay. issue in a second, um, that uh, uh, that they, they had the client had to sign, you know? So, and I, I gave the example the other day, if, you, if somebody backs into your car and they get out and say, I'm sorry, and they give you $100 cash, you take it, put it in your pocket, then you go back to the uh, repair shop, and the repair shop guy's, you know, it's going to be $800 to fix the car. And you go back to that person that gave you the hundred bucks. They're going to say no. Uh, court and satisfaction. I gave you the hundred bucks. You accepted it. You put it in your pocket. You can't come after me for the other. Let's say in this in that example, seven hundred bucks. Do we know, Michael, whether Norfolk or representative from Norfolk is going to be uh, in attendance at this meeting tonight uh, with residents? No idea if they're going to be there. I know that we are going to be down the street doing our own questions and answer presentation with uh, a nationwide law firm called Motley Rice. There it is. Yep, you got the uh, the flyer so that we can answer a lot of folks' questions. We've had a bunch of folks already reach out to us, and uh, we just want to make it clear to them that uh, we're here to help. But, you know, and, and that reimbursement agreement that I, I talked about before, we put it on our public website. Anybody can download it, whether they're our clients or not just to try to protect everybody that might be at risk. So how many clients right now, Michael, or residents have you lined up who are you you are representing in this? I would say at last count, we're up to somewhere near 35 to 45, but we categorize them as family claims too, because there's some households okay. that have, you know, five, six, five or six people living in them, and some of them are adults, some of our kids. So it's hard to do the tally right now. So another thing, the company has claimed, at least the town has claimed, all the way up to the governor's claim, they've examined and studied the air and the, 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 the environment right around that one-mile radius and that it's fine, um, that there's no anomalies going on there, nothing dangerous to report yet. Again, that seemed to be restricted right around the one-mile area in which this first occurred. Now, obviously, uh, that's subject to change, and we learned from 9-11 in downtown New York that it most dramatically changes 
But what is your sense of what the officials so far are saying that this looks worse than it is? Well, optics can be very deceiving when it comes to toxic you know, uh, chemicals and stuff like that. Let me right. tell you this. Years ago, we represented a bunch of poor workers from a plant in Ohio here called GenCorp that produced vinyl chloride. Um, and it has a sweet candy-like smell to it. And if you were smelling it and working with it, nobody... Recordings. So how, how sickening is that? That the, already the government, the government, our own government is supposed to be our friends. They're seemingly taking the side of Norfolk Southern and saying, oh, yes, everything's fine. The air is fine. The water's fine. The soil's fine. A few faking cows. Cows are faking that they're sick. Chickens, they're dying, but we don't have no idea. Frogs are upside down in the water, DOA. You know, it's like it's unbelievable to me because we've been through this, Mike. And Phil, we've been through this with 9-11. We heard these same bullshit artists telling the same nonsense. And it really gets me sick to hear this. It really does. It, it, you know, that, that claim, uh, it looks worse than it really is. Uh, <laughs> and at the same time, they're showing the video of the dead fish and the dead frogs. And, and we know of uh, all other kinds of livestock and wild uh, wildlife that's dead. So uh, it's not worse than it appears. It's bad. That's Phil, you know, it reminds me of a lot of the news uh, stations when they were reporting on the riots. And behind them yes. was like a, a seven, five alarm fire. And they're going... The, the protests are mostly peaceful. Don't yeah. let this five alarm fire behind me fool you. You know, it's like, wait a minute. I'm seeing something with my eyes yeah. and you're telling me something different with your mouth than I'm seeing with my eyes. It's it's pathetic. Mike, you're the voice of reason. What do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm going to jump in and, and agree with you. It's, you know, the federal government, these elected officials, and some of these are appointed officials like the Secretary of Transportation and things like that. Um, you wonder who they're actually working for and whose interests they're working for. Um, and that breeds distrust of the government because um, obviously you could be a, a, a six-year-old and realize that if the cats are dying, the chickens are dying, the fish are dying, um, it doesn't matter what it looks like. That stuff, as you know from 9-11, after it's, it settles down, it's going to be on the ground. It's going to be in the water. And it's, it's still, after those plumes of smoke are gone, it's still just going to be there. It's going to be there ingested. It's going to be rubbed on your skin through the breeze. You touch it. You walk, take a walk. You're breathing it. It's on your clothing. It's going to be there for a long time. And to say, ah, it's not as bad as it looks. That was just, that burns over. Right. That's a scary. The person who would say that, that's scary. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Guys, we're at an hour and two minutes uh, Phil, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, let's get together on this, guys. Come on. The government's got to step up. Uh, we respond to all types of disasters in the past, and everybody, uh, you know, is willing to give a helping hand. These people in Palestine, uh, Ohio, and on the Pennsylvania border, they need our help. Uh, the government needs to step in and do whatever they can. This Norfolk Southern uh, company, uh, they don't seem too genuine. But you know what? They're throwing around checks. Let's get all the money together, get some bottled water into that area, give these people a place to stay until they can figure out what's going to be. And uh, the advice I could give to them, 
get the hell out of there. Don't stay there. You have small kids. If you can go stay with relatives out of the area. I think there should be an area that's uh, maybe 10 square miles or whatever it is near that area that needs to be evacuated. And uh, don't go back until we know 100% that it's safe. Absolutely. Schmitty, thank you for the $5 super chat. Feigning oblivion. I hope they look back at history. It's there many times over. Learn from the past. Well, they just tried the same tricks that worked for them in the past. And they just, you know, reopen the trick, the bag of tricks, and they pull out the tricks that work because they're trying to save money for this Norfolk Southern Railroad, which apparently is on the stock exchange. It's a big Wall Street company. A lot of big billionaires own, own shares of this. So, you know, if that's the case, that's really, really disturbing and really, really disgusting. But we know uh, money talks and something else walks, right? Isn't that the truth, Mr. Geary? Yes. Pilgrim does. Soul, thank you so much uh, for the 499 Super Chat. Stock up on Tasty Cakes and get the heck out of here. I like, well, you know, I like that. <laughs> for the folks that live there, it's not so easy to live and we discussed to leave. We discussed yeah. that before. If this is your home and it's your lifetime investment, you can't just walk away. But that's why, you know, Norfolk Southern may be purchasing some of these houses, you know, uh, as part of this settlement. They may be relocating and buying these homes at a fair market price that are in within a one mile of this horrific train derailment. So that's a possibility too. Mike Geary, the voice of reason, final thoughts. Let's just hope that some good regulations or um, protocols come uh, are created in light of this. Hopefully, you know, after you have every disaster, hopefully we can learn from it and just do things in the future a little bit more safely. That's about all I can hope for. Just very modest dreams at this point. Absolutely. Martha Minor, FEMA has denied assistance requested by the governor. That's, I heard that earlier today, Billy. I did hear that. That's unbelievable. I it can't is. imagine, you know, why FEMA would... Disgusting you know, is what it is. It's disgusting. That That is crazy. You know, a lot of things like that, and I, I sorry to bring it all back to 9-11, but... Uh, Anne-Marie, I remember being shocked seeing the footage of firefighters with no masks and not even in their respirators just before collapse. There was tons of smoke, so, et cetera. Anne-Marie, one of the reasons they had no masks because there were none. <laughs> you know, I mean, firemen have those uh, masks that they wear when they go into fires that have the oxygen. But a mask that you wear over 8, 10, 12, 14 hours, it's not oxygen. It's just to protect you from breathing in bad stuff. And there were no masks till maybe... 48 hours later, you know, when the whole country mobilized to get equipment down to ground zero for all the first responders. That was very heartfelt, and that really made us feel good back then. But uh, Billy, I didn't you know, get one of those masks with the canisters for about at least five a day, five or six days. Wow. I think I had one, uh, I don't know, two or three days later, maybe. They were there, well, yeah, but by the time I got to me, it was a few days in. We did a lot of um, different chores with 9-11, too, not just on the pile, we called it, the pile, Ground Zero. Yeah. We went to Fresh Kills, where they would offload all the debris from the towers onto a barge and float it down to uh, Staten Island to a place called Fresh Kills, which was like hell. Really, it was like hell. Methane gas, you could see water bubbling like the Adams family. And that was for methane gas underneath the ground 
that was bubbling up and and same thing there. They were like, oh, this dump is perfectly safe. We yeah. Like what? That, what? That was one of the biggest garbage dumps I think uh, in the country, and uh, that's where they were taking all the stuff. Yeah, you're right about that. The, you walked on, you walked on the floor, and and uh, gases would come up out of the out of the ground. And oh. and the first week, I remember they told us they go, all right, park your car down there. And we're going to take a bus up because we don't want your car to get contaminated. Then you get here, you take off your, your clothes, you put on a Tyvek suit, you put on these boots. After you work, you, we're going to have showers and we're going to, you're going to, you know, do it. You're going to, none of that happened. None of it happened. Best laid plans. And all of the plans, of course, when you hear the police department's going to do, you're like, wait a minute. They're not doing that. Next thing you know, people are pulling their car right up to the dump where we're searching through the stuff. And it was like ridiculous. The only thing they did keep to was once you were on the dump site, this is fresh kills in Staten Island, you were not allowed to leave. Because obviously, you, are you going to go out into the community and go have dinner uh, at some restaurant in Staten Island and contaminate all the people in the restaurant? So yeah. that was one thing that they did good. The other part, problem with that was there were 12-hour tours. So some guys were like four hours overtime. Oh, great. They were volunteering for it. That's the most expensive four hours of overtime they ever got in their life because they probably got some disease from doing it. I remember there was this lieutenant. I won't mention his name. Every time I got fresh kills, he would call me. He was from another precinct because he was retiring. He said, can I have your fresh kills overtime? I go, you got it, buddy. Not only did I not want to drive to Staten Island from Manhattan, but I hated being on that dump. And it was it was horrific, you know. And he volunteered for it all the time. And he was doing all this crazy. How about and the people that were assigned there every single day? Oh my God! I can't imagine what that. My was good like friend Jimmy Luongo and my uh, my partner Artie Williams are signed there every day. And yeah, Jimmy Luongo like, ran, ran it. He was a yeah. deputy inspector at the time. Yep. He yep. ran fresh kills, and it was like, you know, any cops and you guys that are in in the chat, anyone listening to this, you know, I'm I'm telling the truth. It was horrible yeah. that place, you know. And not only were we working there, the FBI was there. The DEA was there, construction workers, steel workers, anthropologists were there to identify bones and stuff like that that we had we recovered. So it was uh, it my was late friend Joe Ponzi from the Brooklyn DA's office, who was a bureau chief, uh, chief of homicide. Uh, he was there and he passed away uh, last, I believe it was last April, uh, from the exposure to the uh, toxins. He spent many days at uh, Fresh Kills, the, the, the landfill. Mary Michael, Sergeant Bill, Detective Phil, and Professor Gurry. Wow, what a great informative session. Thanks so much for speaking out for Palestine, Ohio, and against the bad guys who need to own this disaster they created. You know, I remember um, on the greatest police show I think ever made, The Wire, uh, yeah. an attor attorney was uh, cross-examining, uh, I think it was Omar, and he was on the stand, and he goes, so am I right? You take a shotgun and you stick up drug dealers? He, he goes, man, that's horrific. He goes, just like you. He goes, I carry a shotgun and I wear jeans. He goes, you wear a suit and tie and you're just as bad as me. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I don't know if Mike's going to like that one. Yeah, Mike not like that. Most, I have a sense of humor. <laughs> most, most attorneys don't like that if you compare them to a stick-up guy on the street. <laughs> that, that was a great show and that actor... Uh, 
He was really good. I met him a few times. He passed away not long ago, but he was uh, great. I love that guy. Michael, Michael K something. I can't think of his last name, but what a gentleman. He he came into Spumoni Gardens a few times and just the gentleman took as many pitches, autographs. He was a real good guy. Played a great part in that. That's a great series. The Wire. Yeah, absolutely. Folks, if you listen to me, The Wire is the greatest police show ever made. It was on HBO. You can actually buy the whole series on dvd look i'm not an i'm not advertising for it i just think it was the greatest police michael k williams was the actor that played michael k williams yeah i remember good good guy real good guy too bad he he passed at a young age mike did i give you your final words i started talking so much yeah you did yeah just to hope for new regulations and new protocols make something good out of this tragedy absolutely so folks that's our show for tonight thank you very much for tuning in it's a little different than our um then our regular show, but you know something, we're passionate about this. It doesn't didn't get as many viewers as usual, but um, that's okay. Every once in a while, we got to do a show just because we're passionate about these things. So, folks, have a great night, and we'll see you soon. Stay safe, everybody, and prayers for Palestine, Ohio. One episode just ain't enough.